He said there was something very important he wanted to discuss with me. I think he's going to pop the question. <laughs> a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. Cool, so I'm here with Marin Larson, recent graduate of Drexel's custom design major program and former honor student, a former associate editor for the Smart Set, podcaster, wunderkind, Marin Larson. Budding feminist, lover, <laughs> lover of working girl and Carly Simon. <laughs> Let's have like a nice, concise summary of Working Girl. Working Girl is about Tess McGill, who kind of gets kicked around in the corporate world quite a bit. And she takes her shot at glory in the corporate scene of New York City in the 1980s. I always forget that Mike Nichols made this. He's made a lot of films about power dynamics, about gender and power, and has like an empathetic way I think of representing women and women's lives. This was one of the first for me that was like making me think more about power structure and the way the system is set up and that sort of thing. I had a completely different experience watching it this time around than I did last time. I think I do every it's it's like it means something different to me at every time (laughs) in my life. It's like one of those movies you know. I was caught up in the the shoulder pads and the glitz and the glamour of it all and her sticking to her guns and like always having the right thing to say. I expect you to call me Tess. I don't expect you to fetch me coffee unless you're getting some for yourself. And um, the rest will just make up as we go along. What is so cool about Tess is her vulnerability and her naivete and her like own coming to terms with her optimism. Uh, there's a scene where she's talking to her slimeball boyfriend, Mick. Played, played of by. course, by Alec Baldwin. And she's after she meets her new boss. It's just, it's so exciting. I mean, she takes me seriously. And it's like she wants to be my mentor, which is exactly what I needed. I mean, I feel like I'm finally getting somewhere, Mick. Yes, that's great, but let's step on it or the pizza's gonna freeze, honey. Come on. There's like a moment where I'm like, this this is a point of change. Like, th- like finally, somebody gets it. Somebody gets me, and I'm going to like kick this popsicle stand and go forth and let the river run. But it becomes quite clear that Catherine is the worst. Yeah. To Jack Trainer, Dewey's Sigourney Smith. Weaver is amazing, and I want them to love each other. But <laughs> it's not, yeah, not meant to be. Hard copy on this from the home computer. Do not go through tests. Catherine and Tess are never going to be the same, even though they are both women, because Catherine clearly comes from money and comes from opportunities, and Tess doesn't. And that's part of the charm of Tess, but also the way in which she can't really, like, insert herself into the system quite as easily, because Catherine gets it. She is all smiles and rainbows, but is really deceptive and It's a two-way street on my team. I know. It's awful. I consider us a team, Tess. And as such, we have a uniform. Simple, elegant, impeccable. Um, how do I look? You look terrific. You might want to rethink the jewelry. 
just these like subtle undercuts at tests that are foreshadowing of what is to come. No, I just meant the hair and the duds and the briefcase. What's going on? Make fun of you. No, no, you look good. Classy. What, you have to go to traffic court or something? No, I just got off work. I sort of got a promotion. Well, this is a time in the 80s where, like, concerns about middle-class white women returning to work was a big issue, right? So you have all these films like Baby Boom and 9 to 5. Oh, and Mr. Mom might fit into it where it's like, what do we do when they start, you know, moving out of the kitchen and into the workforce? Here, would you hold her? Oh, no, 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 no. I can't. No, I never held a baby. What oh, I see. What, I have? Oh. Although I think this clearly has a little bit more sympathy and empathy towards women. I mean, there's that scene where... For her birthday, Mick gets her, like, lingerie. You know, Mick, just once I could go for, like, a sweater or some earrings, you know? A present that I could actually wear outside of this apartment. And then, on the other hand, at work, where you think, like, she maybe could get out of that circumstance, she's surrounded by, like, gross stock market guys, sleazebag pimps. Who are trying to set her up with Kevin Spacey. Bob from Arbitrage. Yeah. Who is vile and disgusting like there's just no sense of relief super creepy even then yeah super creepy then super creepy now yeah exactly although there it is a huge relief when she shakes up the champagne and blows it in his face and she's like (laughs) party bob she is grace under pressure because all of the other women who were sort of manufactured by this system who are in the position to do something with big ideas like Catherine Parker have been masculinized by the system. You know, they read Forbes and like serious publications or whatever. They would never read W or, you know, the People page or that sort of thing because they take themselves too seriously. But she breaks the mold by being feminine and still consuming feminine media and because of that she comes up with this amazing big idea you read w i read a lot of things i mean you never know where the big ideas could come from you know (laughs) well i guess you're right if dumplings can be considered a big idea yeah i mean i challenge you to watch this movie and feel sad (laughs) it makes you like excited about the future Mm. and that sort of thing except for for me the final zoom out at the end is like triumphant and exciting and whatever and she finally made it and then like the twin towers come into the picture and like my heart just sinks because there is something that like that vision of new york with the twin towers will never be unblemished Mm -hmm. especially when those picturesque towers become a symbol of hope and there's just something about like the opportunism here like of just making like New York is a place like it's kind of a small story and when they zoom out at the very end and she's just one little cube in an office building that's huge um in a giant skyline you know it's it's just her little story mm-hmm. but it has this bigger significance power to the people the little people Like, if you were remaking this movie right now, especially in the context of the Me Too, Time's Up Mm -hmm. stuff that's going around right now, in the light of all of these allegations, like, would this movie be the same? I don't know if the industry would be the same or... I mean, the computers would be different. The computer, yeah. (laughs) The computers are awful in that movie. They'd probably do some stuff with iPhones. Um, Yeah. If you really wanted to make it fun and tongue-in-cheek, you could put Melanie Griffith as the boss, right? And then have her play like a Catherine Parker type. Or you could just have her be Tess, who is turned into a Catherine Parker type. And then you could have like a young ingenue. 
um, come in and try to challenge uh, that person. I think we're still yeah. fighting in some ways the same fight. And I think that like in the remake, there would probably be like a woman of color mm-hmm. in Tessa's role trying to navigate the intersecting oppressions that she feels rather than just this like white masculine patriarchy thing Mm -hmm. there's still just shadows of all of this shady behavior everywhere and we're seeing that in the news all the time it's it's still out there the the beast has not been slain (laughs) it still lives on pop the question is brought to you by pannoni honors college at drexel university Pannoni Honors College is invested in undergraduate research, scholar development, and interdisciplinary scholarship. With students from various backgrounds and academic fields of study, the Honors College engages its community in complex ideas. Info at drexel.edu slash Pannoni. That's P-E-N-N-O-N-I. Pannoni Honors College, a place for active learning, high achievement, and community. So this film comes out before your time. What are the circumstances that led Baby Marin to watch this film? One of my older cousins made a mix CD for me with Carly Simon's Let the River Run on it. So I was like, this is a great song. And we would like clean the house and like belt it out because I feel like that's like what you do to that song. Seems like somebody who was like in in the editing room was just like, dude, I just like love this song. (laughs) And we're going to play it all the time. We're going to play like the triumphant like 80s synth beat drums in the background. We're gonna play like the moody sad one when she's like, I think she just got fired and she's like standing on a ferry and it's like playing the sad version of the song. And it's just like, it's everywhere. It's every five minutes in the movie. Well, I think you said it, it's triumphant, right? Like this is a song about, in some ways I think opportunities, right? This is like the chosen, this is the chosen land. New York. But it's also a little nonsense. I'm not saying that it does make sense. I'm trying to give Carly the benefit of the doubt here and the and Mike Nichols and all these people I respect who were like, nailed it, Carly. It could have also been 80s cocaine fueled. I don't know. That's totally possible. Yeah, because it's very unclear what the – is the New Jerusalem America? Is it – is it New York? Is capitalism? it capitalism? Capitalism. It's not necessarily gender specific. It because she says like your sons and daughters are here. Um, the song doesn't make any sense. The song doesn't make any sense. But working girl. Yeah. So I think I was listening to that CD and my mom probably thought it was funny and she was like, "You really need to see the movie that this song is from." And we got the VHS and I just remember like my favorite line is when her friend. Sin, who's Joan Cusack with the biggest hair and the bluest mm-hmm. eyeshadow, she goes, $6,000? It's not even leather. Because <laughs> she's like trying on a dress. It needs some bows or something. Those lines were just hilarious. It's simple, elegant, yet makes a statement. Says to people confident, a risk taker, not afraid to be noticed. Then you hit him with your smarts. But I'm going to read this quote from the movie that I saved because I wanted to get it right. But she says, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life working Working my my ass ass off and getting nowhere just because I followed rules that I had nothing to do with setting up, okay? And I think that that's the core of the movie. And I think that that's the part that can translate to intersectional feminism when we're talking about like the systems of oppression that you had nothing to do with setting up. And it sort of primed me for those things, even Mm -hmm. though it wasn't you know, a fully realized intersectional feminist dream. 
No, this isn't Born in Flames. This is not. <laughs> this is no Born in Flames, although that's a great film, too. We're interrupting this program to bring you a special message from the Women's Army. And what's more, we will continue to make this kind of direct action until everyone understands and is prepared to do something about the way the government has betrayed women. Look at the reality like, of Like, does it lives. always have to be, you know, fire and brimstone... Let's talk about the issues all the time. Yeah, I mean, nothing is absolute. Like, nothing is truly 100% feminist. Nothing is free of the systems that created it. Um, This is a start, a place for people to kind of dip their toes in to the waters of feminism without having to, like, dive in at the deep end. There should be joy in feminism. There should be joy in learning about it. There should be Carly Simon. There should be so much Carly Simon. We should feel the way about feminism that Carly Simon feels on the Staten Island Ferry. And have the floofiest 80s hair. That's... Let let the feminism fly, man. No, I think that pop culture is a reflection of what the collective consciousness or pieces of the collective consciousness are thinking and like what you're gonna you're just gonna spend all of your time reading like dense feminist literature like no no one no one has the fuel for that to just sit there and like read about systems of oppression so you you have to kind of absorb it through other ways and it's not always going to be you know, serious, cut-and-dried theory, super well thought out, and sometimes it's going to be just like an 80s movie with someone vacuuming in their underwear, you know. <laughs> At some point, she tells Harrison Ford, I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Is there anything wrong with that? She was just, like, so snappy and had it together, and that was very exciting to me. I mean, like, I didn't get into film super seriously until, like, late high school, early college, I could have been watching Desperately Seeking Susan and um, Almost Famous. I probably should have watched earlier. I didn't watch that until after I had interned at Rolling Stone. Was Rolling Stone your working girl? Were Mm. you Tess? (laughs) No. New York from street level when you're coming out of Penn Station does not at all feel like soaring, let the river run, (laughs) New York skyline. Like it feels like rats and dirty streets and cigarettes. In fairness, I don't think the Staten Island Ferry has ever been considered like (laughs) the most exciting form of transportation either. I mean, like, I don't don't necessarily want to be Tess. I want to be an amalgamation of all of the feminine heroes and some of the masculine heroes. Mm. Um, I want to be a little bit of Hermione Granger and a little bit of Tess McGill and a little bit of all of these people. Um, but I don't think any one of them is enough, which is why you need to watch all of those and like see so many of them so young so that you have this like bigger base to build from and you're not just like, I have to be this one person. The only other thing I could think of is I could try to call my mom. Well, let's give it a shot. Okay. All right, I'm going to call her and then I'll put her on speakerphone if we get her. Yeah, I don't think she's going to pick up. She knew. Hi. Hi. Okay. So I have a weird question. So I'm at a, a podcast. They're interviewing me about Working Girl, and I was wondering if I could put you on. Okay. Hold on just one second. Hey, mom. Yeah. <laughs> so Hi, Aaron's mom. Hi. That's my boss, Melinda, who's interviewing me about Working Girl. Why did you make me watch that movie? Like, why did you think it was important that I watch it? Probably when you were watching it is sort of like what I was going through at the time. 
because if you were 12 or 13, I had just started, you know, what I consider my midlife kind of career quest. And so that was just something that was really inspiring to me personally, you know, funny, but in a funny way, sort of like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it to the man and I'm going to get the promotion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever strive for Tess McGill's hairstyle? Yes. You want to be taken seriously? You need serious hair. The reason that movie is so funny because all of it is pretty true. I wore blue eyeshadow, had a perm. I wore high-waisted jeans. I wore little sneakers and socks with, you know, to walk around like she does when she's commuting and then she gets to the office and changes into her shoes. Like, I did all of that stuff. (laughs) This is what being an office worker in the 80s was like. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And, uh... Oh my gosh, yeah. Marin's a pretty cool independent lady. Was this part of like a cultural upbringing as well? Yeah, I mean, I think to have something that's visual that she could see that. So, you know, a woman succeeding against all odds, especially in the face of harassment and stuff like that. But I've had so many real life models of that, you included. Yeah. And it certainly helped to see them in film, but they were there in real life too. I think Marin is very much in a Mary Tyler Moore sort of space where you just need to move to Minneapolis, <laughs> find your newsroom, and just be a boss lady and throw your hat up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, that's my life plan, basically. You might just make it all. all right, well, I'll let you go. I know you're at work, but thanks Thank for picking Thank you so much, up. yeah. Well, thanks so much for all you, the wisdom that you've imparted to Marin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Mom. All right, you guys. Take care. All right. right talk you. to you later. Miss you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so, Marin, I mean, we really have run the gamut of information, and we got to talk to your mom. Oh, yeah. She's a, she's a delight. And I think that my mom has always been like, you can make it on your own, like, female empowerment, especially when it comes to, like, earning income and having a steady job and being like financially independent that's always been a huge thing for her and shout out to my mom she has an awesome career now and is a total boss babe um i mean that's the reason that i watched it at all go watch working girl yeah it's worth it even today pop the question was researched and hosted by dr melinda lewis our audio engineering and theme was produced by brian Cantoric. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paul Morans-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? We're talking about practice, man.